0: We do not approach God on our own. We approach Him through His Son, Jesus Christ. And the more we can appreciate that and understand that, um, the more I think we'll benefit from today's topic, which is giving. And you might say, why in the world would you connect the Lord's Supper and giving? Well, open your Bibles, First Corinthians 16. I'll get there in a second, and I forget this every week. We worship people. I'm getting old. Like, I forget... You guys weren't here last week. I forgot a mid, if you're a kindergartner, or first grader, go. Um, They go off to We Worship at this time. I forgot a, a whole point of last week's sermon in the second service. And so they were back there waving at me just like they just were there as well. We'll make it. Why would we connect the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that sacrifice of Jesus Christ, with giving? Well, part of the reason is, Paul does exactly that in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. And I do want you to have your Bibles open today, because we're going to get to that passage and a couple others. But in a letter to a church like ours, the Corinthian church, Paul connects. In fact, right after he talks about the glories of the resurrection, he goes into this idea of giving. And so we're going to get to that today. If you um, are new to Grace Community Church... And this is your first visit and your only visit and you leave saying all they do is talk about money. Well, then you came on a good Sunday because you can say that for a fact. But for 22 years, we've rarely talked about money. God has blessed this church in incredible ways. Um, And so this is an odd thing, but I'm as excited about this as everything else because it's an important thing. Last week we talked about GRAC, why do we do what we do? And I'm, this is a little pop quiz, okay? I know this, except for the A1 that I forgot in the second service. But do you remember what the G stands for in grace? Why we do what we do or how we do? Anybody? Growing faith. Okay, so I, again, play along here, okay? No prize, but growing faith. We are to grow in maturity. The R stands for relevant ministry. Yeah, we are to do things that make a difference in the world. The A stands for authentic worship. Right, we worship God authentically from the heart. The C C is caring community. We care for one another. We're a family. And the E, evangelistic passion. We should reach out. That's why we do what we do. Well, the, the reason that can happen is because people give. The last week we spent a lot of time, you recognize pastors, we recognize ministry leaders. None of that happens without a lot of people. And frankly, none of it happens without some resources. And so this week we're going to dedicate looking at how we can be grace givers, how we can do that. Last week we saw in Acts chapter 2, that was a, a passage we looked at, that they gave all their uh, goods away. It says they, they sold their property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. That was just from the very outset. And there was a reason for that, if you remember. At Pentecost, the Jews had come together in Jerusalem. And the Holy Spirit pours out, thousands get saved. Well, they begin speaking in languages to all people of the globe. Well, those Jews, don't forget, left the Jewish religion. They're away from home, largely disowned by some of their families. They have no jobs to go back to. The Jewish... The, the, the Jerusalem Church became very poor. In fact, there was a famine acts I think eleven tells us they they were a very poor church, and so what began to happen was um, and, and persecution broke out too. Don't forget Paul, who's writing 1 Corinthians, is one of those guys Perse- everything's going great in Jerusalem and everything's going bad in Jerusalem at the same time and so Paul begins to go around to other churches and say, we need to help our brothers and sisters back in Jerusalem. He begins to take up collections in all these churches, Philippi and Galatia and Corinth. And Corinth was a very gifted church. The question was, would she be a giving church? They're, remember, they bragged about the gifts that they had. They, they had a lot of things going for them, but Paul is in this letter going to encourage them to give to those people. So now I'm going to make some comments along the way and then have us turn to another section of Scripture and then break down how we give here at Grace. So this will be on the screen for you. First Corinthians 16, verse 1, about the collection for the Lord's people. That's Paul's intent, to help the people back in Jerusalem. That's who the, the Lord's people are. And just to start with, I want to say this, that Christians have historically been very generous people. Somebody play generous bingo with me today, and count how many times I say the word generous. That should be our characteristic. And this is where it ties to the resurrection. If you think of the generosity of God to us, how can we not but be generous to other people? That's, the, that's a, a driving theme of all of this. So he's, he's speaking to them about that. He's saying about the collection for the Lord's people. Christians have historically been more generous, started more hospitals, orphanages, mission efforts, Even as we speak, there's people from our association here in Clay County and Platt County down in Florida helping with hurricane relief. We are generous people. We're a generous church, I hope. I hope you're generous people. I hope we're a generous church. Before I get too far into this, we give 10% of our resources out too. We tithe, and then some, to the community around us. And so that's what we are just known for, being generous people for the the collection of Lord's people says, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. Well, in Galatia, Paul had uh, been encouraged and others have encouraged him to remember the poor. He said, that's the very thing I was eager to do. And so this was something that was not just for Corinth. It wasn't just for Galatia. It was for us too, that Paul was encouraging churches to be generous and care for poor people, care for the Lord's people. It says in verse 2 that on the first day of the week, each one should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. I'll break this down with headings later, but you can get the idea there that this was a regular process of collecting funds. It was a regular process of giving. That on the first day of the week, they changed the day of, of, of worship because of the Lord's resurrection. And it said you should set aside in keeping with your income. You'll hear this word a lot today, proportional. It's very possible that you give more of a monetary amount than somebody else, and yet somebody else gives more of a a sacrificial amount. And I'll get to that a little bit, but it's proportional there. The wealthiest person can give without feeling it. But a poor person, think of the widow's mite, gave all she had. And I I have this vision of walking down the streets of gold in heaven one day, You know, here on earth we name buildings after people and streets after people. I think we'll be surprised when we get there and whose names, if you can play along with this, it's going to be the, the poorest people you know are going to have their recognition on buildings and streets of gold because they're the ones that the Lord saw what they gave and he will recognize and reward that. He goes on to say that you should save it up so that when I come, no collection will have to be made. Paul did not want to be a... Um, a, a burden to them in the sense that he did not want to manipulate them in any way he didn't want to come in and say hey there's this great need i know you're just hearing about it but get out your checkbooks right now you know i'll take venmo let's just do it let me get the money there was no pressure he said do this on a regular basis so that when needs come up you're ready then he says in verse three when i arrive i will give letters of introduction to men you approve and send them with your gift to jerusalem I'll get to this in a second again, but you have a right to, to know that your money's being spent and that we're accountable for that. That's what Paul was doing there. He goes, you elect some people to go with this gift so you know it's being used how we say it's going to be used and it's accounted for in every way. And then he says in verse 4, if it seems advisable for me to go, then they will also they will accompany me. So Paul may go along in this journey too. Okay, That's our main text for this morning, but I want you to turn now to 2 Corinthians. That was 1 Corinthians, the end of 1 Corinthians. And Paul says, there's this need, let's start a collection, let's get the money to where it's needed. Second Corinthians is written later, obviously, and Paul goes back and, and reflects on how they handled that first bit of advice, or that first um, uh, commission there in First Corinthians. How did they do that? And we'll, we'll see that in a second. So as we get, now we're going to work through an outline, and I'll get you there in a second, but as we work through an outline, the G-R-A-C-E, Today stands for the ways we give at grace. There's certain categories here. And the first one I want you to think of is generosity. Again, check your bingo card. They were generous people. When it says in verse 2 of the passage we just read, in keeping with your income, that means a percentage, basically. It means being proportional. Some people can easily drop... And I don't want to use numbers here, but I'm going, I'm going to have to just for illustration. Some people could easily drop a $100 bill on the offering plate every week and it not even affect what they do on a daily basis. For some people, that's all they have. The idea is that you give a proportion out of what you have. There's always questions about that. What's the proportion? And should it be 10% or more or less? And, and I've got my thoughts on that. I think if we're generous, then it's, everything owns, belongs to God. And that's the heart of that. I'll just give you a couple statistics, though. In churches, in Christian churches, only about 10 to 25% of church members give 10%. Tithe, that's the, the term there. About 10 to 20%. Only 5% of the United States population participates in tithing. There's only, if you gave today, you're like the top 5%. So if you ever hear that number thrown out, you know, the top, you're one of them. Only Christians only give about 2.5% of their income. And that's down from 3.3 something a few years ago. So that's the state of how things are right now. You as a church have been very generous. And so, again, if you have a guest here, I'm not saying, man, we need to meet budget this week. We're, we're meeting budget. Everything's good. We're setting up next year's budget. Everything's good. Um, but you're generous people and Christians should be generous people. Let me just ask, I'm going to ask you to search your heart this morning because, by the way, I don't know who gives what around here. That's not, doesn't come across my desk. I don't have access to that. But if your question in your heart is how much do I have to give versus how much can I give, then your heart's in the wrong place. That's not a generous heart. In fact, it becomes very legalistic if you say, I've got to give this amount, so I'm like, you know, toeing the line. You should and I should want to give everything we can reasonably give to the work of the Lord, both here and in the world. I mean, that just should be our attitude. Everything belongs to the Lord. Under this title of generosity, these are terms, I can't say everything the Bible says about giving this morning. There are literally thousands of verses about money and giving, but generosity is certainly one of them. Cheerful is another one. God loves a cheerful giver. We'll see this in in 2 Corinthians a little bit. It should not be grudgingly. We should be very grateful for what the Lord has done. Last week I ended with Deuteronomy, I think it was 8, where it says when we get wealthy, we're going to think our hands produce that. We're going to forget that God gave us the ability to produce wealth. We'll read in 2 Corinthians 8 here in a second. You know that the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though He was rich, Yet for your sakes he became poor so that by his poverty he could make you rich. If we're Christ-like, that's our attitude with everything. We're just generous people in that. Voluntary, it's a, we'll read this again, not under compulsion. Sacrificially. We already read they sold their property and their possessions and, and gave. I, I, this will be the first public recognition of my, um, my problem with thrifting, okay? Just so you know. If you're on Facebook, I have a problem. And I'm looking for the support group and all that kind of stuff. But um, I have my, this is genetic. My mom's done this on eBay for years. I can't help but go find things and try and flip them on Facebook. That's just, sorry. Um, but an interesting thing has happened. And, and I don't know if that's God preparing me for this message or what. Just follow this goofy line of thinking. If I find something either free on the curb, which is also part of the problem, or very inexpensively at a thrift store or a garage sale, and I know it's worth a whole lot more, right? I pick it up, and I try to sell it for more money. Because I know I either got it for nothing or next to nothing, I really don't care that much about that item. Does that make sense? Every once in a while, it gets a little sketchy, and you're like, are you sure this person's not going to try and rip you off? If you want to rob $1.99 from me, you understand? I understand it cost me nothing to give that to you. Our grace, our forgiveness, our salvation cost us absolutely nothing. Everything we have is free from God. Why would I hold on tightly to it? Why would I care if somebody rips me off of it? That's what God did for us. Though He was rich, became poor for us. That's the attitude of a generous giver. We understand we didn't do anything to deserve everything we have. And so God can use it. We have it with open hands. That's, again, the idea of a generous giving. Now, I ask you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And then we'll go into chapter 9. And I'm just going to read a lot. This is going to be a good old-fashioned Bible study. But this is the follow-up to what Paul asked them to do in chapter 16 of the first letter. So in chapter eight, there's a heading in the IIV that says a call to generous giving. So I'm on theme here. Now I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in His kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. So there are a bunch of these: Philippi, Berea, Thessalonica. There's a bunch of churches. They are being tested by many troubles, and they are very poor. I told you Jerusalem was poor. So were these churches. Um, There was the famine. Rome came in and destroyed a lot of things and took a lot of things that belonged to Alexander the Great. They were trying to get the bounty from all that. But they are also filled with abundant joy, which is overflowed in rich generosity. Get the point here. They were so excited about what God was doing, they were just generous, right? For I can testify that though that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did it with, of their own free will. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. Back in Exodus 16, I think it is, Moses was collecting and he had to tell the people to stop because everybody was just so excited to help. Now, we've not reached that point at Grace Community Church. But some of you are begging for the privilege of sharing in what God is doing. That's the attitude, again, of generous people. Think how I can say this story, but recently I was able to teach a, a Bible study someplace. And it was a, it's unique to be able to do that in this setting, I think. And one of the people that was there came up afterwards with tears in her eyes and says, I want to give you something. And no, I, I didn't, so you know, I didn't take anything. But she, she, she understood what a gift it was to hear the gospel, to see the word of God preached, and she wanted to contribute to make sure that kept happening. That's what's going on in Corinthians, in in Corinth too. They wanted to be a part of that, the privilege of sharing in that. Verse 5, they even did more than we had hoped, for their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us, just as God wanted them to be. The real issue was not their money. It was their heart. It was the attitude of their heart more than the amount that they were going to give. If you have that heart that this is a a, a a privilege to do this, then any sacrifice, frankly, is worth it. And by the way, we sacrifice for all kinds of things we think are worth it. Sports and hobbies and loved ones and all that kind of stuff. It's where your heart is, your money usually follows. That's how we are wired. And so Paul's talking about that. Verse 6, so we urged Titus, that was one of Paul's associates, to encourage you in your giving, the fir- who encouraged you in your giving in the first place, to return to you and encourage you to finish the ministry of giving. Now, here's what he's saying. Paul can be a little sarcastic at times. Playfully so, perhaps, but he says, You said you were going to be generous. Titus is going to see if you really mean it. It's one thing to have the impulse and the desire to really give. It's another when you start, I almost said, writing the check. Anybody write checks anymore? And one, you know, it's another thing to actually do the thing. He says, since you excel in so many other ways, basically, Paul kind of, this is where I think he's being sarcastic, you have great faith, you're gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, your love. Remember he wrote the whole book of 1 Corinthians saying, hey, keep that stuff, you know, be humble about that stuff. One gift's not better than the other. They were pretty proud of themselves. He says, since you're so, you know, excelling in so all these things, I want you to accelerate in the gracious gift of giving. If you think you're a great church, if you think you're a great Christian and you're not giving, then your heart's not really in it. You're just, it's just all for show is what he's saying. I want you to excel in that gracious gift or act of giving. By the way, he uses the word for grace over and over in this passage because it is. It's, it's a free gift. That's the idea here. Verse 8, I am not commanding you to do this, but I am testing how genuine your love is by comparing it with the eagerness of other churches. He's just said, hey, the Macedonians are really good at this, and you claim to be a great church. I want to see if you really measure up to them. But I can't force you to do it, is what he's saying. I want it to I want to test your heart. I want to test if you genuinely have love. Verse 9. You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich yet for our sakes became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. Think Philippians 2, where Jesus left the, the riches of heaven. And then he would quote in Matthew's gospel foxes have dens and Birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. That's that's what Jesus did for us, right? Verse 10, here's my advice. It would be good for you to finish what you started a year ago. Last year, you were the first who wanted to give. And you were the first to begin doing it. Now you should finish what you started. Let the eagerness you showed in the beginning be matched by your giving. Give in proportion to what you have. There's that idea again. Whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly. I bolded the word eagerly. Is your giving eagerly? Is it a privilege? You see it that way. I And give according to what you have, not what you don't have. I think that's important too, because there's some people here that would give everything they could, but they can't. You're not measured by what, you, what somebody else is giving. You're measured by what you give. God's not up there saying, well, this guy wrote a big check, or this lady wrote a big check, and you only wrote this much. God knows your circumstance. He knows all that now, we can make our own circumstances. Let me put that, put it that way. Sometimes people can't give because they've spent on everything else that's not quite as important but i'm it, it, he goes um, let's see where am I? Your advice gives you in. verse eight no thirteen, thank you, sir. Of course, i don't mean your giving should make life easy for others and hard for yourselves. I only mean that there should be equality, some equality. Now, that's a verse that usually doesn't make the uh, fundraising pamphlet, okay? Here's what Paul said. I think Paul's very practical here. He's saying, I don't mean that you should give so much that you're starving while somebody who could be working or could have family help them and they're taking advantage of your generosity when they're not doing what they need to do. He's not asking for communism or socialism or anything like that. He's just saying, listen, help where you can, because some people really need it, but don't let their hard circumstances, if they're not legit, cause you to be in hard circumstances. I think there's very practical advice in some of that. Right now, it says in verse 14, you have plenty and can help those who are in need. Later, they will have plenty and can share with you when you need it. In this way, things will be equal. Again, he's just saying, you're going to have your times too, right? Let's help each other in this. As Scripture says, and this is from Exodus 16. I think this is insightful. Those who gather a lot had nothing left over, and those who gathered only a little had enough. Do you know what the context of that back in Exodus is? It's when God gave manna. And he said, you go out and collect enough every day for you and your family, right? On the day before the Sabbath, collect enough for two days. And if you collect too much or anything's left over, it's going to rot. That's the principle that that Paul brings into giving right now. So let's get the word manna out of that and let's put the word money into it. Our resources, our property, or or whatever. If you collect so much, while there's needs out there and you're not providing for those needs, that stuff's going to rot on you. Don't hoard the stuff that is needed elsewhere. Okay, that's the principle here. I'll let you do the math in your checkbooks, but that's what he's saying. Just like you can hoard manna and it will rot on you. Just have just enough so that you can do the work of the kingdom. That's that's the the idea there. Now, go to chapter 9. Verse 2. Now, I know your eagerness to help, and I have been boasting about it to the Macedonians, telling them that since... Last year, you and Acacia were ready to give, and your enthusiasm stirred had stirred most of them to action. So he's saying, "I bragged on you, you Corinthians, but I'm sending my brothers in order that our boasting about you is is in this matter should not be proved hollow." but that you may be ready as I said you would be. So he's really holding their feet to the fire. You you said you were going to give generously. I went and told people. I bragged about you giving generously. Now finish it up. Otherwise, it's going to look like I don't know what I'm talking about. I bragged on you and you didn't do what I bragged about. If for If any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to say anything about you, would be ashamed of having been so confident. Again, you know, they wrote checks with their mouths that their bodies couldn't back up. They were, they said they were going to be so great and generous and they didn't do it. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and finish the arrangements for the generous gift you had promised. Then it will be ready as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly given. He didn't want to put the pressure on them. He wants to prepare them, say, keep keep that collection every week so that it's ready, right? Uh, a man named Redpath said this, when God gives grace, he does not reluctantly open a little finger and maintain a fist full of gifts. I tell you that today that God's hands are nail-pierced hands and they are wide open. This fountain of grace is always pouring itself out with no limitation on heaven's side at all. See, the more we realize the generosity of God, that should spill out into our generosity to others. Verse 6, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Another little illustration here. If you're a farmer and you have a handful of seeds, and the seeds are important, you can do two things with them. You can store them in a jar, or you can throw them on the field. And it, what happens if you store them in a jar? A year from now, you still have a jar full of seeds. Or if you scatter them, a year from now, you got a whole field full of more seeds, right? Well, most of us, many of us, are not farmers. What if I told you this? For every dollar you give me, a week from now, I'll give you two. A year from now, I'll give you a hundred. By the way, this is not a this is not a real scenario. I'm not starting some sort of scheme here. Okay. Who would sign up for that? I would. If I could know that every dollar I gave you, I would get two in return. Well, God promises such a deal. And yet we hold on to our seeds, we hold on to our resources, thinking, I gotta have this, and we don't trust God's generosity enough to say, if I will scatter this out, he will make sure the fruit comes in. That's the the point of this. If you reap sparingly, you're gonna so or if you sow sparingly, you're gonna reap sparingly. Verse 7, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. The word there, you've probably heard this study before, is hilarious. God loves it when people hilariously give. It's just a party. Can you believe we get to give to this? That's the idea of the, the Greek language there. We should be happy about it. And God is able to bless you abundantly. So then, in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. God will take care of you because He wants to use you. We are conduits. We are stewards of God's resources. For it is written, and this is Psalm 112, They have freely scattered their gifts to the poor, and their righteousness endures forever. That means if you're part of this process, God will remember that forever. That if you are freely scattering everything to those in need, now he who supplies seed to the sower... And bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the need of needs of the Lord's people, but it is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Okay. Now, what I've just done for you is given you the G of generous, with the Corinthian church as the example. But let me give you A, C, E, and not forget any points. R. And I think this comes out from these texts that we've read. Not only did they give generously, they gave uh, regularly. They collected on the first day of the week. They saved up their money. And I think the point there, and and what I want to get across for you is, um, it's not haphazard. It's not an afterthought it's planned it's thought through it's part of your budget it's part of how you you handle your finances i don't want to put it this way but it's one more bill that you pay it's just it's it's part of the the process of how you manage life as you give regularly not only has have you been generous at grace community church frankly you've been pretty regular with your giving it's amazing that when covid shut everything down uh, God's hand was all over this. Shortly before that, we had started some, some of the online giving process. And we have a lot of people that travel and, and here or there, but our budget often doesn't show it because they have consistently decided that they're going to give to the work of the local church, and it just comes in week after week. Again, I want to be what, like Paul here. I don't want you to do anything under compulsion, but the idea is that if you're only giving when you happen to be here, you know, that, that's not the idea. The idea is that you collect it every week. It's just part of your, your budget. So they gave generously, they gave regularly. By the way, these are all, how are you doing in these areas, right? Thirdly, they gave anonymously. Um, I said already that I don't know who gives what. Um, but it said in, in 1 Corinthians 16, each one of you, that he doesn't list the name of donors and all that kind of stuff. And I've already gone through what streets and you know buildings may be named in heaven. But when I, when I say they gave anonymously, I basically mean this, they don't care who gets the credit. Okay? They, they just don't care. They just want to give to help and be a part of the process. And if somebody knows that, fine. But it, that's not why they're doing it. They don't expect something in return. It's not consumerism. It's not, I will give, but I I better get this back. Um, and so each one of them gave. We don't have that list of names, but we know what Jesus said in Matthew 6. He said, watch out. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you will lose your reward from your heavenly Father. When you give to someone in need, don't do it as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and streets to call attention to their acts of charity. I tell you the truth, you have received a reward, that they've received all the reward they will ever get. But when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private, and your Father who sees everything will reward you. I think that even when I say anonymous, I don't even mean publicly. I think it, for a guy who really doesn't care about keeping track of money and receipts and stuff, this is easy for me to say. But it should almost be like, I'm not exactly sure how much I gave. You know, the IRS wants to know exactly how much you gave. I get that. But you're not over there nickel and diamond and saying, I gave, oh, you know, I'm up to, I did it. Just give generously and, and don't keep track of it in the sense that you're kind of measuring up. And it, that's just the idea here is that don't even let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. There's another passage where there's a Pharisee and a tax collector. And we know that because the Pharisee says, oh, thank you, God, I'm not a sinner like that person. Well, what that Pharisee says is I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. He was counting on that to be important. But Jesus said that sinner went home justified before God, not that righteous man who could count every dime. So they gave again anonymously, they gave cooperatively. Back in our first passage in Acts 16, or 1 Corinthians 16, the collection of the Lord's people. The Galatian churches were involved. And when we read 2 Corinthians, we had churches in Macedonia and Achaia. Save it up. A collection should be named. By the way, I think the word collection there is where we get our word thesaurus. It's where you just start you, you collect words and a thesaurus. They were just collecting money. They were that's what they were doing, but they were doing it together. The reason it works is here at Grace Community Church, we pull our money together, right? That's that's The offering all comes together. And some people give a lot, some people give less, but together we're able to do a lot of things for the Lord. We happen to be a part of a denomination that has a thing called a cooperative program where uh, I forget the numbers, 47,000 churches in the Southern Baptist Convention cooperate their money together so they can send thousands of missionaries out in the field so that they can start homes for the elderly, so that they can do all kinds of things. They can send missionaries. They can plant churches. It's because we all together put that money together. That's what we do. It's not just, uh, we're not the only church on the planet, right? We work with other churches to do that. By the way, today about noon, pray for Trimble Baptist Church. They are making their decision today on whether some of the generosity you've given here will help them have a presence just up the road you know, six miles. Pray for them. That's a hard decision to make. But it's because of your generosity. And I again, I see a lot what's going on here. Because of our generosity, we can help a sister church do great things. So it's cooperative. It's not just us. It's not just you. It's all of us together. And E, they gave expectantly. Now, this may seem at odds with the anonymous thing. But I think you can expect some things. I've already hinted on this. Paul was very eager to say, you appoint some people to go with this to make sure it gets spent. You can expect that your money here, at least, is used responsibly. As we get closer and closer to next year's budget, you will have opportunities to see the budget, ask questions of the budget. You can ask us anything. We'll show you the financial report. But you should have an expectation that your gifts to us will be used appropriately. thats I think that's reasonable. I think Paul's doing that there. I also think you can expect to see results. I think that God will, as it says in Luke 6, Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, or pour, pour into your lap. With the measure used, it will be measured to you. I think God will bear fruit from this. I think God will, uh, people will get saved through this. I know through the years we've helped people in El Salvador through your giving. I'm praying that we'll help people in Tremble. I, I expect that God will do great things through your generosity. I also think you can expect rewards. Again, you know, I'm not making this up, but but it seems, I think, pretty clear in Scripture that when you have a generous, giving heart like this, God does in many ways bless you materially. It's not a give and get thing, but your shoes won't wear out, is the passage I keep going back to next. God will just watch over you. In fact, in Philippians, you know this verse, My God shall supply all your needs according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. That's on coffee mugs. The setting there your generous people, and I know God's going to supply for your needs. That's the, the context of that one. Jesus would say these very words, if anyone has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake, they shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. You get an eternal and spiritual reward for your giving as well. And I think, and we saw this in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, that God will get glory. It ended there by saying this service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but it's also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. If I could paint the picture, if you are a part of giving and, and actually seeing people benefit from that, here's what, when it says giving many, I'll tell you about the giver and the getter gives thanks to God. If you've ever seen somebody just so overwhelmed with a generous gift, they give thanks to God for that. You know who else does? As the person that was able to make that gift possible. Thank God we're part of stuff like that. So, how are you doing? This is the, you know, the part where you, are you a generous giver? Would you, would that be, uh, you know, a word that could be used of you? Do you give regularly? Do you give anonymously? Do you give cooperatively and expectantly? That's how I think it leaves it with you. Now, this all goes back to, again, remember, Jesus Christ, though he was rich, became poor for us. It starts with a relationship with Jesus Christ and I think then overflows into a generous lifestyle all kinds of ways, right? Is that fair enough? They always talk about money up there. I'm telling you, it's a blessing. It is a blessing to be a part of the work of God. Okay, let's pray. God, thank you for your word. I just thank you for the, I think the clarity and the, uh, practicality of paul's words to that church in corinth and i pray his words to this church here in smithville god i pray that we would be generous in our giving god just help us to see how generous you've been for to us God, help us to just have that kind of lifestyle and everything else that flows from that the the not caring about who gets credit, God, and the the praise that goes to your name and, and just all those other things, God. May we consistently be a part of this. Thank you for inviting us into your work. May Jesus Christ be glorified in all of this. Search our hearts, God, where you need to challenge us, challenge us, where you need to encourage us do that. And God, where you need to just remind us of the eternal rewards that come from such a generous giving, uh, God, just thank you for that. But thank you most importantly for your son, Jesus Christ. Without his generosity, without his grace, we would have nothing to give financially, spiritually, anything, God. But thank you for the gospel. I pray that your son be glorified in our giving. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.